I need the help of either Oliver or Aiden. I'm not going to let his parents decide which one is going to send up here. And I saw one hand fly up already. So whichever one, I just need one of you to come on up here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yay, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's a yay. Let's step over this way a little bit. So I want to ask you something. Um, do you have problems hearing at times? You sure? Did, I saw a yes. I saw a yes. I wonder why you have a problem hearing. Now, we all have hearing problems, whether maybe it's an obedience hearing or something. I don't know. But my guess is sometimes, sometimes we have things in our ears. You know, you might have a cat in your ear. Yeah, we need to get that out, right? Now, actually, let me take a look in your ear, and you do have something in there. You do. So let me, let me, just, let me just sort of pull it here. Oh, that's what it was. That's a, actually, no, no, stay right here. There's, there's more. Yeah, there's more. You know, there's, there's a lot more. This is the hearing problem right here. It just keeps coming and coming. And that's yellow. That's gross. That's wax. And that's, uh, I have no idea what that is. Blue. You got a lot of stuff in you right now. And um, we got to be done here soon, right? Because I got to get this sermon going. There we go. Good. This right here seems to be the issue. This is why you couldn't hear. Do you believe me? No. That's good. All right. You're going to have a seat. Good job. Of course you don't believe me because I'm not a good magician. I, a real magician would have had that hidden much better and would have played along better, maybe done something else. But as a kid, I always wanted to be a magician, sort of. That was in the back of my mind. I had a little black hat. I think we had a father-son banquet one time. We had a magician there, and we got to keep the centerpieces, which was a black hat. And so I took it to school and tried to teach my friends, like, I got some tricks, right? Actually, no, I have nothing on Houdini or any of those other famous magicians that are out there. Um, I've just got a little play stuff, right? But what we're going to discover in the Bible today, there were some magicians in there. Oh, but they weren't real. And then there's one big, powerful God that just blew all these magicians out of the water. So join me, please, in your Bibles. And here's what we did. I'm not putting a lot of scripture on the screen today. So we did put a Bible in every row. So there's at least one Bible in every row. If you don't have one, grab that Bible or share with somebody. And uh, we're going to adventure through the Bible, and we're going to be in Exodus 4, is where we're going to be as we talk about Moses. Now, you remember before Moses, it was Joseph, and, and Brian did a fantastic job, as always, uh, last week. And I appreciate him and how he teaches God's Word. Our styles are so different, um, which is good. And, and he talked about, you know, Joseph. Joseph went from the pit to the palace. Moses went from the palace to the pit, or wilderness. And he had a face-to-face conversation or a face-to-bush conversation with God last week, if you remember, in the first couple chapters of Exodus. Well, God has a mission for Moses, as you learned last week, and he has one for you too. And as we dig in here to to, uh, chapter 4 of the book of Exodus, we're going to see that Moses' excuses sort of climax, and finally God's like, enough excuses, Moses, okay? And And he's sort of like, gets angry. Matter of fact, look at verse 14. It says, chapter 4, verse 14, the Lord became angry with Moses. I don't know, but I don't think that's a good idea to have God angry with you, is it? And and he got into that conversation, and I don't know, is he, was the conversation so light that he just sort of forgot the awe and the reverence of God? Did he get to that point where we've heard it said before, oh, the man upstairs, when you reference God as the man upstairs, you've made him nothing but a negligent landlord. And that's not good. And all of a sudden, that awe and reverence for God is gone. 
And then it's easy to start having these arguments with God, as if we can. And God's like, uh-uh. God is awesome and mighty. Here's a couple of scriptures I will put on the screen. One's from Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He's a great God, a mighty and awesome God. And then look what it says in Psalm 89, 7. I love this verse. The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. God is to be put in awe and reverence. God tells Moses, hey, you know, I told you I'm with you. You're nervous about this. Take your staff. I'm sending your brother Aaron. I've prepared him. He's on his way. You all are going to go back to Egypt and complete this mission that I've given you. But before Moses leaves Midian, the Lord says to him, look at verse 19, return to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you have died. Now, here's another reason why Moses didn't want to go back. He had some people that were looking out for him. And God says, I know you've got fears. I know you've got anxiety, but I'm taking care of that. I'm giving you a mission and I'm preparing you, but I'm also going to be preparing what's ahead of you. In other words, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Pharaoh. God prepares Moses by saying, this is how Pharaoh is going to reply. Look at verse 21 of chapter 4. The Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh, perform all the miracles I've empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. Then you'll tell him, this is what the Lord says. Israel, my firstborn son. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you refuse, I will not kill your firstborn son. Now, this is chapter 4. That's verse 23. We're going to see that this comes to fruition in later in chapters 11 and 12. It's amazing. God's telling Moses this right now. Moses like over his head, like, I'm not sure what this is going to mean, but okay. But he's telling him that the heart of Pharaoh is going to be hardened. Now, if you read through Scripture over the next couple chapters, you're going, to, you're going to hear this phrase over and over. That's why I put it up on the screen. It's a hardened heart. It says God is going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. In other places, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. In other places, it says the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Three different phrases used in this Scripture. But what we need to understand is that God never purposely hardens the heart of Pharaoh. He allows Pharaoh's heart to be hardened. He let Pharaoh choose his direction. And then God said, so be it. And it is hard. Where do we get an understanding of this? Well, as we read through scripture, we understand it. But then even in places in Romans chapter one, verse 28, Paul said this, since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. Basically, God is saying this. Listen, you want to choose to reject me? You want to choose to walk away from me? I will let that. Therefore, your heart will be hardened. He allows us that freedom to make that choice. And when we do, he hardens the heart. Verse 29, chapter 4, Moses and Aaron enter Egypt. And they call all the Israelite leaders together. Verse 30 says, Aaron told them everything the Lord told Moses. Moses performed the miraculous signs and they watched. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. And when they heard what the Lord had concerned them about with their misery, that God was listening, it says, then they bowed and they worshiped God. So Aaron and Moses come and they talk to the leaders. The leaders watch and they listen like, God heard us. 
He heard our misery. He's come to save us. Yes, and they worshiped. You might want to remember this verse because they're going to forget it real quick. Chapter 5. They make this presentation to the Israel leaders. And then what happens next is Moses and Aaron go to speak to Pharaoh. Understand, this is a bold move. This is a courageous act. The Pharaoh, they were said to be children of the sun, friends to the greatest gods of Egypt. And they sat with them in their own temples and they received worship alongside all these other false gods. Having grown up in the royal courts of Egypt, Moses saw this. But Moses also knew Pharaoh personally, and he knew he was a man. So with the authority of the living God working with Moses, he goes into the courts of Pharaoh, and that is bold. Chapter 5, verse 1, the conversation begins. This is what the Lord of God of Israel says. Let my people go, Pharaoh, so that we can hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so? Said Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? You might want to pause there too. Because here's the thing. Pharaoh asked the right question. Who is your Lord? Who's the Lord? Maybe we ought to ask that question too. Who is my Lord? Who do I worship? It goes on to say, why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will never let Israel go. Pharaoh did have the right question, but he didn't have the right heart. Pharaoh knew a little bit about this God, and he's going to know so much more coming soon. Verse 3, Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of Hebrews has met with us. So let us have a three-day journey out into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he'll kill us with a plague or a sword. And Pharaoh's like, I don't care. You guys are expendable to me. You're just my hired help. I tried to get rid of you. You kept growing, so I'm just going to make you all slaves. He doesn't care. Verse 4, Pharaoh replied, Moses, Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their task? Get back to work. Look, there's so many people in your land, and there's, you are stopping them from work. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and to the Israelite foreman. He said, don't supply any more straw for their making bricks. Make the people go get it themselves. But you still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out. And it's going to offer sacrifices during God. Nah, nah, nah. Pharaoh was not nice, right? He's like, oh, you're going to get the same work done with less resources. Go at it. Bunch of lazy people want to go worship your God. That ain't happening. Israelite foremen leave Pharaoh's present. They go out to Moses and Aaron. They're like, Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate your going to Pharaoh because now look what we have to deal with. They went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's like, get back to work, you lazy people. Pharaoh hated them. Look at what it's for chapter 5, verse 20. As these Israelite foremen leave Pharaoh's court, they're confront, they confront Moses and Aaron who are sitting outside waiting. Verse 21, the foreman said, May the Lord judge and punish you, Moses and Aaron, for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You put a sword in their hands and an excuse to kill us. Moses is like, I came here on a mission to help. And, and one minute these people are bound and worshiping. I go to, to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, no, 
He makes life worse. And then the Israelite foremen go, he says, no. And they come and they blame us. These are the people we're supposed to help. And now they're mad at us. Everybody's mad at us. God, why did you send me here again? Protested back to God. Matter of fact, in verse 23, listen to what Moses says to God. Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesperson, he has been even more brutal to your people. True. Listen to this. And you've done nothing to rescue them. False. Nothing. How many times in our lives have we waited on God and it's like, he's not doing anything. How many times in this last year have you prayed and asked God to do something and it's like, he's doing nothing. Do we realize that our timing and God's timing are two different times? That our understanding and God's understanding are on two different levels? We have an infinite God and we have these little finite minds of ours. And in this situation, Moses is like, he's not doing anything. God's like, I've done everything. And just wait till you see more what I'm going to do. Because in theory, God could have rescued these people without a struggle. God could have went in there himself. But God chooses us to do his work, as you heard last week. And so we go in and we're like, all right, God, you going to do anything? God's like, I've been at this. Just trust me. Just trust me. Keep going. Moses goes to God. He vents his frustration. And it's amazing as God's like, listen, I know you're discouraged, but you got to trust me because I'm at work even though you don't see it. Chapter 6, look what happens. Lord said to Moses, now you'll see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave this land. God promises that only would Pharaoh let the children of Israel leave. He would force them out. Verse 2, God said to Moses, I am Yahweh the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them under its terms. I promised to give them the land of Canaan when they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I've heard the groan of the people of Israel who are now slaves of the Egyptians. I am well aware of my covenant with them. See, at this point in time, Moses was impressed with the wrong person. Moses was discouraged because he was impressed by Pharaoh. What he needed to do was be impressed by God. And God shows up and impresses him saying, Oh, you've heard of El Shaddai? Yeah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, your, your great, great grandfather, your ancestors. Yeah, yep. I'm giving you a new name. My name is Yahweh the name of God, and I am a faithful God, and I will follow through with my promises. Now check this out. This is what God does. God says, I'm going to give you seven promises right now. Follow along on the screen. I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression, and I will rescue you from slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you'll know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I'm the Lord. Moses was ready to quit, and God's like, stop. I know you're discouraged. I know life is tough. I know you feel like I put you on a mission, and you, you think I left you, and your mission is failing. It's not. 
If I make it easy on you, you will never become what I need you to be. A lot of people want to be great in life. I hear that from athletes all the time. They want to be the superstars. They want to be the best, but they don't want to practice. I'm sorry, but if you don't go through the rough times, if you don't get stretched, you will never become good or great. That's part of the process. That's part of the journey. And for us as Christians, we have to go through these tough times, and God says, and I will be with you the whole way through. So God has this little sit down with him and says, I just want to remind you this. Before we move into this next thing, I am faithful. I'm faithful. Chapter 7. But God goes on to say, but I'm going to make Pharaoh's heart stubborn. I told you who I am, but I want to remind you what you're up against, a stubborn heart. But I want you to know he's got a stubborn heart. Look what he says. So I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. I'll bring my fist down on Egypt. Then I'll rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. And when I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelite, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. He's like, you see, this is all building up, Moses. Eventually, through all this stubbornness, through all these acts, people are going to see me. We get so caught up sometimes on the ten plagues of Egypt and the stubbornness, the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh, we forget that who this is all about. It's all about God. When we see all that happens, we got to step back and say, wow, God is great. God is powerful. Well, Pharaoh is going to reject God, so God's going to use that heart to reveal himself to the Israelites and the rest of the Egyptians. And it starts off in the courtroom. So we see that verse 11, chapter 7, Pharaoh called in his own wise men, his sorcerers, his magicians. And these Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. Well, what did they do? Well, Moses came in, he threw his staff down and became a snake. It says in verse 12, they threw down their staffs, which also became serpents. But when Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard. He refused to listen, just as the Lord predicted. You know, this wasn't mere magic, by the way. These these enchantments of the Egyptian magicians, they were dark, they were demonic. Spiritual forces like this are talked about through Scripture. In the New Testament, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, he says, this man will come do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, signs, and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth. There's work going on around us sometimes that we don't understand it's demonic. But remember this, God's power always wins. Always wins. So the plagues are going to begin here. And they're described, by the way, in Hebrew, in different words, meaning a strike or a blow. So every plague that came, it was like God was just punching out one of the false Egyptian gods. The Egyptians worshipped so many false deities. And every one of these plagues goes at one of their gods. And it's like, boom, there's a blow. Boom, there's a punch. So look at it in that way. And they're always broken, by the way, into groups of three. Three plagues, three plagues, three plagues, and then the final one with the firstborn being killed. And every plague, there's usually two warnings, and the third plague, no warning. Two warnings, no warning. Two warnings, no warning. And then one mighty big warning. These plagues basically are going to come back to Pharaoh's original question. Remember what he said this? 
Who's God? Who's your Lord? God's going to reveal himself to Pharaoh big time. Here's the first one, the plague of blood. We read verse 14 that the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes down the river, stand by the Nile and meet him there. And here's what happens. He turns the river, the Nile, into blood. And then all the water across Egypt turns to blood. Ponds, reservoirs, containers that had water turned to blood. Pharaoh's like, whatever. Brings out his magicians again, his enchanters. They found some water. They turned it to blood too, which I'm sitting there going, why? The, Moses already made the situation bad for them. Hey, watch, my guys can make it bad too. Well, that's sweet. Can you make it good? No, they can't. That's the thing about false gods. They can't make things right. They're false. This first plague was directed at the Egyptian god named Kum. He was the guardian of the Nile. They worshipped the Nile. And the god Hopi was said to be the spirit of the Nile. These gods got taken down. A one-two punch. And there they go. We move on to the next plague. It was a plague of frogs. Chapter 8. You've turned to chapter 8, start reading in verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they can worship. Verse 2. If you refuse to worship or let them go, I will send a plague of frogs across your land. The Nile will swarm with frogs. They're going to come up out of the river into your palace, into your bedroom. Kids, these frogs are going to be in your bed with you. Some of you boys are like, sweet. Not so sweet, because listen, they enter the houses of your officials, your people. They're going to jump into your ovens, into your kneading bowls, in your cereal bowls. They're going to jump in your Fruit Loops. Verse 4, frogs are going to jump on you, your people. You're going to pull on your socks. They're going to be in your socks. They're going to be everywhere. You getting the picture here? The Egyptian god, Hecate, was also basically pictured with the head of a frog. They worshipped a god that had the head of a frog. The ancient Egyptians, frogs were considered sacred. You can't kill frogs. And so God's picking on them right here. Here's another God God's going to take on. The magicians were able to do the same thing with their magic. They do cause frogs to come up out of the land of Egypt, which again, it's like you're making the situation worse, guys. Stop it. Right? Well, see, we can, we can create havoc and chaos too. I love this next part. Pharaoh begs, yes, begs Moses, get rid of the frogs, please. Will you please get rid of the frogs? Most like, you know, let my people go. Yeah, let them go. Whatever. All right. When do you want me to get rid of the frogs? Tomorrow. Now, everybody think about the logic of that. Yeah. Moses says, when do you want me to get rid of the frogs? Pharaoh's like, let's do it tomorrow. How about now? You got frogs everywhere, right? But he's like, tomorrow. Moses like, all right, tomorrow. So tomorrow, the next day, all the frogs died everywhere. The land smelled bad. Okay. Nasty. But Pharaoh's like, I changed my mind. You can't go. Next plague, chapter 8, verse 16. Next plague was the raising of the staff. And the dust, the dust in the land turned to, now some translations say gnats. But the translation is lice. Mm, Yeah, everybody, everybody just got grossed out on that one. Lice everywhere. Oh, what God did that hit with the Egyptians? Well, first of all, all the priests, the Egyptian priests, could not lead worship. You know why? They were unclean because of the lies. Worship got shut down. Yeah, that's sort of nasty, right? And here's the thing, too. These Egyptian magicians, enchanters, they could turn a rod into a snake, water into blood. They can bring frogs out of the land, but they couldn't do the lice thing. Uh Uh-oh. 
all of a sudden they're finding out their powers are done. God reigns. God is great. They actually proclaim this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. Next plague, plague of flies. Early in the morning, God commands, hey, get up and I want you to go meet Pharaoh as he's on his way down to the river. Nothing like, you know, you're getting up in the morning, you're going down to the river and there's Moses standing in front of you again. Like, really? Again? I've had enough of all of this. Is Moses like, I think we're getting warmed up. I don't know. God didn't tell me how many, but he did tell me about this next one. Flies. Flies everywhere. Some of us, you get that one fly in your car when you're driving. Bothers you, that one fly in your house, and you like chase them around, right? How about a swarm? How about everywhere, right? But here's the thing. There's no flies in the land of Goshen. Basically, God's saying, now I'm going to start putting a difference between my land, my people, and the Egyptians. Flies, no flies. It's like stepping across the state territory, and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, no flies, sweet, right? You can imagine the distinction here. It said the whole land of Egypt was thrown into chaos by the flies. Like the plague of lice with flies, you cannot, you're unclean, no worship. God of the Egyptians attacked, defeated again. So Pharaoh gives in, but this time he's like, you know what? Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and let you do uh, leave, but it's under my terms now. See, that's what evil does. You can't compromise with evil and win. You can't sort of say, well, we're going to just sort of do this and get away with it. I, I can still be godly and do this. God's like, no, you can't. This ain't working. Moses like, no, either we all go, we all leave. And Mo- Pharaoh's like, forget it. No, not happening. The more we reject God, the more sin comes into our life, the more our hearts become hardened, the less we want to do what God tells us to do. Fifth plague. It's a plague against the livestock. All the horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, goats. But the Lord again made a distinction between the land of Egypt and Goshen. God's people, their livestock was fine. All the livestock in Egypt died. This plague directed at the Egyptian god, which is Hathor, which is basically the mother goddess, was a in the form of a cow. The Egyptians... Religion considered cattle to be sacred. The cow was often a symbol of fertility. And so they worshipped him. God shows Pharaoh in Egypt that, you know what? I win again. Your imagined pagan God does not exist. Here's a really cool thing. One author said there was a record of a battle with Egyptians and their enemy. The enemy put a bunch of cows out in front of their attackers. Phil, pay attention to this one, okay? He put the cows out in front of the attackers and they went in and the Egyptians didn't shoot their arrows at them or throw their spears at them or do anything because why? They didn't want to kill a cow because they're sacred. They lost that battle because the cattle came in and then they defeated them. That's how much they worshiped a cow, okay? Listen, I like a good burger anytime, but that's crazy. All right, the sixth plague. The sixth plague was a plague of festering boils. This time... The skin was covered with boils, everybody, except, again, God's people. Pharaoh refused to listen. The Egyptian god, Imhotep, was a god of medicine. The god of medicine couldn't get rid of the boils. Defeated again. Plague number seven, a plague of hail. Verse 15 of chapter 9. If you're following along, chapter 9, verse 15, it says this. By now I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with the plague to wipe you off the face of the earth. But he didn't. 
but I've spared you for a purpose to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. It didn't matter to Pharaoh. So God sent a hailstorm, wiping out the land, the, the trees, the vegetation. It was one of the nastiest storms that have ever struck. Struck down everything in the open field, verse 25. People, animals, plants alike, even the trees were destroyed. The only place without hell was where? The region of Goshen, where the children of Israel lived. Now, maybe this is the final plague, right? It's got to be, right? This is nasty. Everything's been wiped out. Moses like, now there's, there's, there's more coming because you know why? Check the screen. A hardened heart. Still don't want to believe that God was out there. So then came the plague of locusts, chapter 10. Tomorrow, a swarm of locusts is going to come upon your country. They're going to cover your land. You won't even be able to see the ground. Can you imagine so many locusts flying around? You can't even see the ground. Just next time we have a heavy snowstorm and it's so thick and you can't see, imagine those are locusts. What would that be like? Moses didn't even wait for a reply. Pharaoh's officials appealed to Pharaoh. Let the people go, please. Let them go worship the Lord. Don't you realize that Egypt is in ruins? Now, Pharaoh's secondhand men are begging. Let them go, please. Let them go. Nope, not happening. See, Pharaoh said, well, I'll let the men go only. Moses like, no, it's not just the men, men, women, kids, the animals. Nope, not going to happen. Guess it's not happening then. Every plant was devoured. Not a single leaf was left on the trees and the plants were out the ground. Yahweh showed himself again over the Egyptian god Set. Set was supposed to be the protector of crops. Ain't no crops around anymore. God defeated the Egyptian god again. Plague of darkness, the ninth plague. A darkness which was so thick you could feel it. It says in chapter 10, verse 23, during that time the people could not see each other. No one moved. Listen, church, that's how dark it was. You didn't even want to take a step because you had no clue what you're going to be walking into or who was in there. It felt so thick. Uh, but there was light as usual in the land of Israel or Goshen. Can you imagine that? I mean, if you're in the land of Goshen, all you just see is probably like a black sky, a black wall. It would have been amazing, right? And yet, Pharaoh says, nope, not going to do it. And by the way, this was an attack on the Egyptian god, Ra, who was representing the sun. Oh, yeah. Egyptian god defeated again. Pharaoh's still thinking he has something here, but he doesn't. Chapter 11 and chapter 12, it gets right down to what's going to happen next. And that is the firstborn son, the firstborn of every family was going to die. Now, up to this point in time, again, did Moses really know how many more plagues? Oh, and by the way, this didn't happen like every like seven days, eight, nine, ten, like day after day. These were weeks. These were long periods of time. Over a long period of time, like a 2020, right? One thing after another, it's like, again, again, again. It's like, when is this going to stop? Moses isn't even quite sure. But then when we get to this point, it's like the firstborn. He's like, I remember back when God and I first started this mission, he mentioned this. This is it, isn't it? And he went to Pharaoh. 
And he said, I'll strike Pharaoh in the land of Egypt with one more blow. After that, Pharaoh will let you leave the country. In fact, he'll be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you to leave. Moses tells Pharaoh, at midnight, the Lord's going to pass through the heart of Egypt. And all the firstborn, this is chapter 11, verse 5, all the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt. And the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the oldest son of the lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour, even the firstborn of all the livestock are going to die. And as Moses stood before Pharaoh, first time God basically, specifically was able to speak through Moses and say, Pharaoh, your son's going to die. And yet there's a hardened heart. A hardened heart. God gave them an out. We call it the Passover. In which they took the lamb and they slayed the lamb. And they took the blood and they put it on a doorpost, on a doorpost, and across the top of the doorpost. Looking like a cross if you were to connect the blood to the ground. And then they were given instructions on what to do with the meal, with the food. They were given instructions on how to dress because they were going to be leaving. And you read all these instructions in chapter 11 and 12 and it's very specific and it's laid out and it's like, this is it. And by the way, children of Israel, you are going to celebrate this every single year for the rest of your life because I've rescued you. I've redeemed you. I am your God. All these promises, remember, I will, I will, I will, became, it happened, it happened, it happened. In these moments, the question is, are you going to trust God as an awesome God or not? You sit there and think, what does that have to do with pandemics and politics and anxiety and fear? I just want to put yourself in there sandals for a moment, okay? If you were in Egypt and you went through this one after another, after another, after another, you're probably sitting there going, I'm tired of lice and frogs and flies and boils and darkness and hailstorms. It's coming from every end. It's like physically, skin disease, gnats, bugs, everything. When is this going to stop? Do you think they lived in anxiety and fear? Yes. After one plague, they knew another one was coming. What's next? It's probably down the edge of the seat. What's next? What is our leader in charge going to do? Come on, Pharaoh. Come on, government. Make a good decision. Help us out here. Government will not save you. Pharaoh would not save them. Only God would rescue them. And a lot of us have put a false hope in false gods. Our government, our good actions are not going to save us. Only God saves us. He's an awesome and mighty God. But we need to pray for those in leadership. We need to pray for those in government. We need to pray for those who make decisions. That they make godly decisions. That their hearts will not be hardened. Do we still think we can control and bargain God? I'm going to tell you, if you think you control God, I'm going to tell you right now, just give up, okay? You cannot control God. God is awesome. God is great. And I want you to think about Moses when he started this, because some of us are in the, that spot right now. Moses had no idea what he was getting into when he started this mission. Up to this point in time, here's what not, did not happen yet, and he had no clue. Do you think Moses saw the Egyptian army closing in on him when he's at the Red Sea? Do you think Moses saw the Red Sea parting? Do you think Moses saw himself walking across on dry ground? 
Do you think God, or do you think Moses saw water come out of the rock or manna be laid before him to eat? Do you think Moses would see the battles that are going to be won through prayer? Do you think Moses would see the vision of God on Mount Sinai and see the, the Ten Commandments given to him and hear the voice of God? Do you think Moses knew he was going to see the tabernacle built and the priests be consecrated? Do you think he's going to see the spies sent forth into Canaan and them come back and then be put in the wilderness for another 38 years because they didn't listen? Do you think Moses saw himself going up onto the mountain where he was going to die as he overlooked the promised land? Do you think Moses saw himself sitting next to Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration? Do you think Moses saw any of that? Did he know what he's getting to? No, he did not. But he trusted God. None of us know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow, amen? And that is God. And he is great. And he is awesome. So in our fear and anxiety, here's what I want to challenge you with. We get so caught up on all the plagues, and we get so caught up on the hard heart of Pharaoh, we forget the main character of the story. That's God. Our great and awesome powerful God, our undefeated God. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Our God who says, I win every time. Bring on your false gods. Bring on your worries. I'll knock them down. Because I'm God, I'm great. Remember that simple prayer we prayed as kids? God is great. God is good. Thank you, Lord, for this food or something like that. Remember that? That's such a simple prayer, but isn't that a good prayer? God is great. We just think about God is good. What does God have to do to wake up our hearts, to wake us up? You know, we do not want hard hearts. We do not want to be like Pharaoh. We do not want to worship false gods. We want to be like Moses. So church, I want to encourage you in your faith. Trust God. Trust God right now. With what is going on in this world, trust God. Get your mind off the plagues. Get your mind off the news. Set your mind on God, who is great and awesome, who is over all this. You know, faith is not seeing a sign from God and then trusting God and going forward. Faith is taking a step without a sign and trusting God and moving forward. Moses had no idea how many plagues there were, right? He just kept trusting God. Ooh, this is going to get ugly, but I trust you, God. This is getting challenging but I trust you, God. In your moments of challenge, in your moments of worry, trust God. He is great. We've sang about it. We've talked about it. Now let's go walk it out. Let's go walk it out. Would you stand, please? As we move through today and face tomorrow, remember, our God is in control. Don't fight it. Don't fight it. Trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. Thank you, Lord, that we can worship you. We thank you that you are a great God. We thank you, Lord, that when we read through this scripture, this incredible adventure that Moses had, we read through it in about 35 minutes, but it probably took over 35 days. Lord, I don't know how many days, weeks. And in those moments of wondering, what's going to happen? You always proved yourself faithful. You told him from the very beginning. You told us from the very beginning, I will, I will, I will. And Lord, you do, you do, and you do always. And we can celebrate that truth. 
So God, right now in the midst of what's going on in this world, we pray for this world. We pray for Tuesday, not knowing what it's going to be like. Some of us are worried about it. Some of us are worried about our jobs. Some of us are worried about other things going on in our lives with this, with a virus or being quarantined or whatever it may be. God, you're above all these things. You are a great and awesome God. So we're going to trust you with today and tomorrow because you are great. We love you. In thy name we pray.